I'm, I'm still not able to, to hear you clear. A few dozen subcommittees are happening at the Capitol every day. All are streamed, but some have audio that is very difficult to understand. From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the weekly legislative podcast under the Golden Dome. This is an education bill. Not all of the audio from subcommittees is bad, including one that would allow for year-round school. Every day that Okaboji loses from that summer season, it's it's over a million dollars. Businesses don't like it because it potentially reduces family summer vacations and teenagers are less able to participate in the labor force. But those representing the schools say each district should be able to make their own choice. Really, the best is this decision should be made by the local communities. Another bill is about vaccination. Right now, parents have to give consent for their child to be vaccinated, but a bill would require that consent to be in written form. This and other bills are all tied to a movement against vaccines and community health that I'm very tired of. And the governor has a bill requiring more gas pumps to offer higher blends of biofuels. It's the second year she's proposed something like this, but in 2022, it's not as aggressive. Updates the Renewable Fuel Infrastructure Program and ensures E15 at stations that are compatible to offer it. I'm John Pimble. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week ending January 28, 2022. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This week had around 134 subcommittee meetings, a pace that can easily continue over the next three weeks. By week six, we hit what is called a funnel week, where a bill is required to pass out of one chamber's committees to continue. All of the subcommittee meetings are available through virtual means. As it pertains to this bill, I just want to uh, make a follow-up point. Representative Clemens, if you want to But they aren't always easy to understand. There are three Senate subcommittees about traffic enforcement cameras. They are sometimes called ATEs, Automated Traffic Enforcement. They can track a speeding car or one that fails to stop at a sign, capture the license plate, and the owner of the car receives a fine in the mail. The Senate has submitted various bills over the past few years about eliminating automated traffic enforcement. This year, there is a bill to do that. But there is also one that bans companies outside of Iowa from operating these systems. It doesn't matter where a company is located. The Cedar Rapids Chief of Police, Wayne Jarman, testifies remotely to a subcommittee gathered at the Capitol. I'm here offering my unwavering support for automated traffic enforcement programs not only in Cedar Rapids, but for all of Iowa and within the United States. Chief Jarman has a hard time understanding what the senators are saying to him. What, were the, what was the record for the city of Cedar Rapids last year on the campus? Chief, are you still on? Chief Jarman? Yes, I'm still on. I did not hear the question. What was the revenue for the city of Cedar Rapids uh, last year or last three years on with these cameras? I'm 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 still not able to to hear you clear. What is the what in Cedar Rapids? What was the revenue for the city of Cedar Rapids for the last three years using these devices? Uh, I I don't have the exact figure, and you know if I did, I would gladly share it with you. But uh, the the revenue is not of interest to me. It's the safety that. I understand. 
In Cedar Rapids, traffic cameras generated $8 million worth of fines in fiscal year 2021. Most come from the busy interstate I-380. The company operating these cameras receives $20 for every speeding ticket issued. In the smaller town of Independence, the population is 6,000, and there is a traffic camera near a school zone. Independence Chief of Police Dave Niedert says electronic enforcement makes this area safer. We've been promised so many times more local control. The state of Iowa and many municipalities use state out-of-state contractors and firms for many reasons. I believe that this bill is passed. You can imagine the implication in other areas of state and local government. We cannot create more burdensome regulation on our local governments without thinking that at some point it will be used again on that different on a different topic. At the end of the subcommittee, the Republican senators ask for Democratic Senator Tony Bisignano's feedback. He is one of the three subcommittee panelists. Senator Bisignano, any thoughts or comments you'd like to make? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I missed the entire discussion of anyone in the room because you can't hear. Uh, I can hear you, but it's garbled. For six years, Senator Bisignano has been on subcommittees for bills that restrict or control traffic enforcement cameras. He says this particular bill isn't going to remove cameras, but he says it's part of a bigger effort to do so. It's another way of stacking, trying to get to what you want, which will, you know, you allude to it in the next bill a little better. But, you know, you know, Senator Zahn has the bill. Uh, I won't sign the report. Uh, I don't even think it's constitutional. I don't even know what the point is. Bisignano is referring to Republican Senator Brad Zahn, who in recent years has floor-managed bills in the Senate chamber to eliminate or reduce traffic enforcement cameras. It has passed in the Senate, but the House has not brought up these proposals. Senator Zahn's bill for 2022 that would eliminate traffic cameras, also advanced out of another subcommittee this week. Also in another subcommittee, a bill advances that would require a study to be commissioned in areas where cameras are proposed. It would require public hearings and data stating a traffic camera is needed. So about the bad audio coming from some of these meetings. In most cases, it's because the people speaking are too far away from a microphone. Like in this Senate Veterans Affairs subcommittee for a non-controversial bill that also passed in a House subcommittee last week. It's about the new submarine USS Iowa. It's been under construction for a few years. Later this year, it is expected to be christened, which is a ceremony for when a vessel is launched into the water. Sometime later, it will be officially commissioned. This bill appropriates $200,000 for these ceremonies. Now, we focused on bad audio so far, but there are many of these subcommittee meetings where that is not the case. This is an education bill relating to the beginning start date on the school calendar. Not controversial at all. Republican Representative Tom Moore heads an education subcommittee for a bill that would allow Iowa schools to start much sooner than the present law allows. Right now, schools can't start before August 23rd. Let's just initiate the conversation. Let's have fun today. If you want to speak, come on up. Use the microphone, please. Margaret Buckton is with the Urban Education Network, representing 22 school districts that have 38% of Iowa's students. Our uh, free and reduced price lunch population and our English language learner population and our special needs populations are all disproportionately large compared to the rest of the state. And for those students in particular that have um, extraordinary needs, more of a year-round calendar has been proven to uh, uh, 
minimize the learning loss that they have during the summer. Craig Patterson from Okaboji Tourism says they like the school start date window the way it is. Every day that Okaboji loses from that summer season, it's it's over a million dollars in, in revenues that's that doesn't come in. And that you know I, the way our school funding formula works, that's that's you know half of that basically is school funding. So if you look at the tourism industry statewide, you know, that's a lot of money that actually, you know, feeds it, you know, directly into um, funding education. This bill would allow a school district to determine when to start their school year, something Dave Doughton from Rural School Advocates of Iowa likes. We feel like local school boards should be able to make that decision no matter what. If they want to start in August, they should be able to do that. Um, we think that the local school boards, elected school boards can make those decisions based on the needs of their community. Year-round school doesn't increase the number of hours for students in a year. Right now it's 180 days or 1,080 hours. Year-round school can mean these hours are spread out over the year instead of paused with a long summer break. Eventually and specifically employs uh, hundreds of kids each summer and, and we want that to continue. Jake Ketzner is talking about the amusement park in central Iowa called Adventureland. He does not support allowing school districts to have the school year in the summer. Neither does the Iowa State Fair. Phil Jennery from the Iowa Association of School Boards, however, supports the bill. One of the biggest issues that, that we hear from schools is the flexibility uh, for them to uh, pick their start date. That's a, a local control issue. And so does Sarah Aidy from the Iowa Catholic Conference. The other education groups have mentioned we believe that it is um, really the best. This decision should be made by the local communities and the local school about what makes best sense for their students and their communities. In 2015, the legislature passed the bill making August 23rd the earliest school start date. Republican Representative Tom Moore says, just like it was then, this is still a complicated issue. We don't want to uh, infringe on our, our business partners that are, that are uh, paying the taxes and making the money and, and all of that for the, for the state government. But yet we, we also want that, that local school board to be able to make what the best decisions for them is. And so uh, it's a uh, catch-22 situation, I guess. So uh, at this point, I think we'll just table this. Uh, I appreciate the discussion. I thank you. And, and it was helpful. And, and uh, we'll, you know, when, when, when the time comes that, that there's more uh, concern for year-round school, I think this is going to continue to become a, a uh, more uh, pressing issue. It seems this year will not be the year for making Iowa's schools have a year-round option. This is the Legislative Podcast Under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pimble. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The reason why we came out with this bill is the track that we're on. Republican Senator Jim Carlin is the author of a bill that would require written authorization for someone who was 18 or younger to receive a vaccination. We do have COVID vaccinations that are known to have risks uh, related to myocarditis. Myocarditis is the inflammation of the heart muscle. Doctors and scientists say vaccine-associated myocarditis is an extremely rare occurrence. We are on a track where the government starts defining more and more of our children's health care without our consent. 
that's just the reality of where things are going. This is this to preemptively address these things. This bill requires a parent or legal guardian's written authorization for minors to receive any vaccination. Dennis Tibben is from Iowa Medical Society and American Academy of Pediatrics and says there is already consent required in Iowa. Under Iowa law, verbal consent is considered an applicable manner in which to con- for the parent to consent for that child to receive those vaccinations. Under this law, that would no longer be permissible. So that there is the potential there that there could be a disruption in the, the vaccine schedule as a result of this. Informed Choice Iowa often shows up at the Capitol during committees and demonstrations. They often advocate against vaccination requirements. Lindsay Mayer represents this organization in support of this bill. I believe this is necessary in order to safeguard, number one, the rights as parents to decide what is best for our children, but number two, safeguard our children who are not in the proper mindset at their young ages to make these types of decisions that could be costly to their future. I am a mother of a young child and I oppose this bill. Deborah Thompson says this is one of several bills over the years encouraging vaccine hesitancy. This and other bills are all tied to a movement against vaccines and community health that I'm very tired of. I'm tired of their influence on state legislators and their influence on the passage of laws that do nothing, absolutely nothing, to support the health of our communities. Lena Tucker-Reinders from Iowa Public Health Association says they are not against informed decision-making when it comes to vaccinating children. We believe that Iowa's process of parental consent when it comes to childhood vaccinations is working. Um, providers, as has been mentioned many times, obtain verbal consent prior to er, rendering any in-office medical care services um, and requiring written consent for vaccinations would set them apart from other safe, effective, routine, and minimally invasive in-office treatments. Democratic Senator Sarah Trone-Garriott, who is one of the three panelists on this subcommittee, says signed consent isn't required for procedures like stitches, and there shouldn't be one for vaccinations. Creating this different standard um, for vaccinations, which is a very common, safe, effective childhood practice um, and practice for folks in public health in general, really makes me concerned. Also on this panel is Republican Senator Jesse Green, who supports this bill moving forward. We live in a very sensitive time right now. Uh, a lot of crazy things that are going on that uh, we never dreamt would happen. And um, I'm inclined, I don't want to take any options off the table that could potentially um, be a uh, Uh, helpful to our citizens. Republican Senator Craig Johnson chairing this subcommittee expresses some reluctance. So this this brought definitely a lot of mixed uh, emotions and information and as Senator Green alluded to there are uh, a lot of questions yet that remain in all of this. I for one am not in favor of duplicating uh, additional work in government, additional laws. That uh, has never been my intent. But Senator Johnson signs the bill allowing it to advance to the full committee. This bill has basically started about a year ago. Uh, We have gathered a lot of input. Republican Representative Lee Hine chairs a subcommittee for a bill about biofuels. Those are fuels like gasoline blended with ethanol made from corn and diesel blended with soybean oil. Last year, a bill failed that would require stations to have more pumps that dispense biofuels with higher blends. It was criticized by both parties. 
we have made a lot of changes from the original bill. And uh, while we know that there are some things that maybe certain groups don't really care for, uh, we want you to know that we have heard you and we've, we've tried to make, make it work for everybody. This is a bill written by the governor. The governor's legislative liaison, Molly Severin, says this proposal has more incentives than last year's for gas stations to be able to offer biofuel at more pumps. It increases the tax credits for fuel retailers, updates the renewable fuel infrastructure program, and ensures E15 at stations that are compatible to offer it, so no fuel retailer would have to break concrete. E15 means the gasoline is blended with 15% ethanol. This bill would require gas stations to sell E15 gasoline at half of their pumps that are able to accommodate this kind of biofuel. Stations that can't upgrade their infrastructure will be exempt from having to sell E15 gas. The bill offers $50,000 for stations to upgrade their equipment. That could involve installing a new underground tank and piping. There are many Casey's General Stores across the state. Their lobbyist, Tom Cope, says 175 are in towns with a population of 2,000 or fewer, where many systems would have to be updated to accommodate E15 gasoline. One of the big challenges right now is that if you're going to upgrade your infrastructure at a site to offer E15 that's an older site, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the current infrastructure program only allows you to be able to get a $50,000 grant from the state of Iowa. We've, we talked to the governor's office. We talked to legislators about needing to raise that cap. Unfortunately, this bill doesn't do that. Mark Beltram is from Fuel Iowa, a group representing retailers that sell fuel. Beltram says it's not easy to upgrade stations, especially those in rural Iowa that may only have two pumps. This is the government dictating a, an access standard. That's a fact. So we're willing in the retail community to do our part to support that type of policy, but we need to get it right. The bill has support from the ethanol producers and the Iowa Farm Bureau, represented by lobbyist Kevin Keel. Uh, according to the, the 2020 retailers report from the Department of Revenue, uh, only 17% of the stations in the state currently offer E15. Uh, we'd like to see that number increase. There is also a challenge to selling E15 during the summer months. Right now, it's only allowed in flexible fuel vehicles during the summer, which are cars capable of running with gasoline blended with 83% ethanol. This bill proposes the E15 requirements to be implemented by 2026. The bill passes out of the subcommittee and later the full Ways and Means Committee. All involved say there are going to be changes in this bill as it continues to work its way to the House chamber. And with those 134 subcommittee meetings this week alone, overall, there is a lot of work that has to happen in a short period of time for bills to get to the finish line or to be put aside. That includes a new tax bill. Right now, there are three of them, one from the governor, one from the House, and one from the Senate. They have some differences, but all call for a flat income tax. Those proposals will begin their journey through the subcommittee process next week. I'm John Pimple. This is the weekly legislative podcast under the Golden Dome. The script editor for this episode is Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland. Story help and additional audio comes from Iowa Public Radio Statehouse reporter Katerina Sestarik. Also help from IPR reporters Katie Pikus, Grant Gerlock, and Natalie Krebs. Digital team support for this podcast comes from Caitlin Troutman. If you haven't subscribed to the show, do that now wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.